Centre Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Dave and talking about fostering teenagers. Hi Dave, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, uh, thanks for having me Tor. Well, I'm very, very interested to hear about how you arrived at fostering teens, because of all the things that people talk about, you know, worries about what teenagers are going to be like is, I think, prevalent. So let's hear all about your story. Can you tell me how you came to fostering in the first place? So I think um, from my perspective, I'd always want a family of some sort. I, you know, my ideal vision was uh, find the partner, settle down, then start a family in some ways. The partner thing just was never happening. Um, it seemed that I'd say, right, this is a year to focus on relationships. And I got to that point and then COVID happened. And that's the point where I realized there's always an excuse not to do something. So, you know, there's never an ideal time. So that's when I really started looking into it properly. Now I had been at every Pride Festival, I'd always been sort of sniffing around the adoption and fostering store. So I did have a really good idea beforehand. Um, and then when I started the process, um, I was quite clear I was wanted children sort of five up and, you know, that were sort of in school and, or, and were able to sort of interact with me as well as much as uh, much more. Um, and this is just through experience with family members where it's just very uncomfortable with sort of like the toddler stage. So that lent itself to fostering rather than adoption. And then... That is sort of the journey that I went on and um, through my assessment, they go through your life history. I'm sure a lot of people, uh, whether it's adopters or fosters, know you go through uh, life history with a fine tooth comb. And I did look at my sort of age ranges and again, it was sort of like primary school, secondary school ages and that's the age of approved for. Then I had my first two children come to stay that were on um, a respite and that was purely for uh, the foster carers went on holiday once a year and this was a I think a 10 year old and a 14 year old and they're brilliant kids they're amazing and but the the 10 year old was like a sponge for knowledge and he had questions about everything and he didn't trust Google. So when I said, ask Google, it was like, I don't trust it. And so it just felt a bit full on. And the fact that there's like, as a single carer, I just found it quite challenging just having that um, primary school age child with me. So it was after that where I did sort of say, speak to my supervisor, social worker said, I'm still approved for younger, what my preference is to stay with sort of like the secondary school age children. And that's where I sort of uh, found myself fostering teenagers many teenagers. <laughs> That's really interesting. So you, you sort of found that, I guess, relentless questioning that younger kids do just quite overwhelming. And then you felt that you could relate better to teens. Is it fair to say that? Yes. And I think you also need to acknowledge limitations for me so that, you know, as a single carer, you know, the ability to just be able to pop out to the shops um, is something that you can do with a teenager. And just to caveat that, you know, there will, you know, when you're fostering, there are that do still need that support but that's more on a case-by-case basis whereas you know with a um prime school age child there's a bit more consideration to be had so i just had to like balance it off balance it up and i think i think you know having things in common 
isn't also always necessarily true. So with younger kids, you know, they tend to like Lego. I like Lego. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, whereas the older kids, sometimes they're talking about stuff and I I have no idea what they're talking about sometimes. I, I, I find Urban Dictionary is my friend uh, <laughs> when, when they're chatting because I've got, you know, and, and a, so that that's my tool. But, but yeah, so it's, as I said, it's that ability to have conversation with them and uh, the level of independence and the ability to just, as I say, that's like, you know, nipping out. And with the teenagers that have had, you know, have worked on the independence skills. So, you know, that ability to like, uh, be left alone grows grows with them um and yeah so <laughs> i think that's how how i found it and you know there are the challenges but i think there's there's pluses and negatives are there for, for every you know every every uh, age group and i'd say that some of the challenges are just normal teenage behavior i think sometimes um fostering teenagers gets a bad rap when actually it's just they're being teenagers they're not foster kids they're teenagers yeah absolutely I think that's really important to know indeed and so you went from that um respite plus placement where you know the children would be staying with you for a short period but can you tell me about the first time that you had a child placed with you where you were not the respite carer but the foster carer in its larger sense I guess so the first two so shortly after uh my social work was having conversation uh, with me and I said about that preferred teenagers uh, that. and she she came up with a funny you should mention that so I think my preference is sort of like originally been eight to 14 I said right teenagers so I said oh we've got a 15 and 16 year old who needs somewhere who needs a new foster carer and how how do you feel about that so it's a bit older your preference but you are approved and gave a bit of background so they came to me um, just over two years ago. It was sort of quite an urgent need them to come. They were with a sort of a temporary carer at that moment in time. So I said to them, right, let's come to me. That, that temporary carer is actually going on leave, uh, going on holiday yourself. So I said, right, well, let's do this as a respite placement first, just to make sure they get on with me, make sure there's no pressure on them to feel that they have to be with me and they came to me and then after a week they were sort of want to know when can we put our posters up can we you know when are we going to have a decision are we staying with you all the time now so that's that's where I, I got like two years ago that started my 15 and 16 year old they not related but were like brothers you know because they've been uh fostered together previously so that that was a, a relationship I wasn't getting in between, if that, <laughs> if that, if that makes sense. You know, when you're trying to sort of like, sometimes you think, oh, I might sort of try and uh, see if one can give me information about the other, you know, when they've been up to no good. It's like, nope, <laughs> I'm not stopping <laughs> it. You know, they, they do say, so that, that you know, so that's how I got into starting with like teenagers. They, so the 16-year-old was at, just started college and the 15-year-old was in their final year of school. I think what was really interesting about both of them was the paperwork. So there was, when I could read the reading the paperwork, you know, when you just think something's not right about this, and a lot of it was <clears throat> because it'd been in the care system a while, that the sort of stuff that was maybe from years ago was still on the paperwork, it hadn't properly been refreshed, and stuff goes on it from maybe six years ago. And 
you're sort of seeing inconsistencies. So it's very much like they don't sound exactly right. So I did make sure I was like speaking to their social workers and other professionals who've known the children before agreeing just to fill in the gaps um, for that. So, so as I said, that's how I ended up with the two boys. And um, the rest of it is history, as I say, but that would make a very short podcast <laughs> if I just left it there. <laughs> so what happened? So were they with you a long time or how long were they with you? So the 16-year-old is now 18 and he's staying with me on uh, Staying Pop. The younger one, we a lot of challenges around a lot of aspects of his life and certain things I could uh, was able to manage, but other aspects I was really struggling with. So about a year ago, he moved out into a, a semi-independent living. And for those who don't know, that's a bit like a house share, but they have staff available to sort of help support them. And he's still he's still involved in my life. I still see regularly. His social workers don't really know how to, to manage the relationship sometimes. Um, and <clears throat> again, he's moved on from his original placement and he's now in a flat around the corner from me. So he still pops in uh, from time to time. The old one I said is on staying put. Um, I went on holiday uh, a couple of months ago. Um, my oldest um, was looking after the house and he had the other one around for dinner a couple of times. And, and they pop in and you know, I'm still involved with um, supporting both of them. Obviously there's different uh, types of support. So my 18 year old staying put, you know, he's, He's in work at the moment. He's looking for apprenticeships. He's learning to drive. Um, he sort of needs. He sometimes needs a bit of help with filling out forms. And as I said, he's like fair, fairly independent. The other boy, seventeen, as it, we're sort of like in a different space with him. But it is a bit more like providing sort of support um, with sort of professionals and sometimes being the being like the go between because he he's seventeen now. He just really struggles with um, social services, just the fact that they exist almost. So he, he's fine with social workers as long as they're not his social worker is the best way, <clears throat> way to put it. So he really struggles with like the, the amount of information they have over him. Um, so as, as I said, they're still, I'm still involved in their lives. You know, but the 17 year old's coming back for Christmas. My 18 year old's obviously here all the time. Um, and it is, it's a really lovely sort of little family and you know they will both i mean they don't call me dad but they'll <laughs> when, when they talk to the mates they'll refer to me me as dad uh you know and the other thing is i, I know quite a few of their friends which it might sound like a, a strange thing for people to talk about but particularly for the first year they really did not want me to know their friends they really you know there were certain bits they wanted to keep to themselves, but now you know I have some of their friends' numbers in my phone. Sometimes they'll text me for uh, directly. So it's it's really sort of it's really sort of progressed from from where we were. And one thing I do, I do also sort of have to sort of refer back to is is and I know like my seventeen year old says he doesn't like social workers. He doesn't like being a foster child, and I think sometimes I do have to say to. Uh, point out to them this isn't anything to do with fostering this is what 
parenting is. This is what, <laughs> you know, you know, checking in on you, making sure you're all right is what um, adults do about the young people. And some, and sometimes it's just you need needed to be a bit more explicit about that. And I'm going to say that is probably something that I didn't do earlier on and I should have maybe been doing. Um, and But now I, I do have another um, two boys with me. And the one of them is now 14, he was 13. So we talk about various, various things like, for example, have, when he's staying out late at a friend's house, having details of that parent. Um, and I'm sort of saying, I have to acknowledge with him, it is kind of artificial, but that's just what parents do. What's really good with that, though, is his younger brother um, is nine, almost 10. Yes, I did change my... <laughs> we can talk about that separate. <laughs> so so he's in Cubs and it's in football, and there's WhatsApp groups for those. So actually, people will contact me directly without me having talked to them. You know, at the, you know, It's like that school and gate thing. I know some of the parents, so it means I automatically start knowing... Uh, have contact details so I'm basically able to say to his older brother look I've missed that stage with you so I don't know the parents of all your mates so I sometimes ask you for these things and he does understand he does understand that when explained like that but sometimes he's still just just get this sort of bit of a you're being too nosy um but also I think you know again particularly when you're fostering teenagers is there's a reason why they're being fostered yeah. They're not fostering because they've had an amazing life. And, and you know, everyone comes with their own um, reasons being care, but sometimes they will have not had that um, interest from the parents in what they're doing or that level of uh, curiosity from the parents. So it can be something new to the young people when you are asking that, those details. And again, it's about sort of... Um, saying this isn't a fostering thing, this is a parenting thing. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can see that and I can see that it must be, it sounds like it was good for you to realise that, that some behaviour is just teenage behaviour and then for the kids to realise that some requirements are just parenting slash carer requirements. They aren't specific to foster care. Um, so you've had... So you've now got in your house the 18-year-old, 14-year-old, the 10-year-old, have you? Is that your household makeup at the moment? Well, (laughs) so, yes. Um, Just so you know, like my 18-year-old, his friend needed somewhere to live. So I have another 18-year-old, completely separate from fostering, (laughs) now living with me. And I just think, you know, it is, obviously, that is sort of the bit where, you know, obviously testament to what i'm doing sometimes i feel like i'm you know when i say i'm think like i'm doing a good job sometimes think like i'm boasting but obviously my eldest you know his friend needs somewhere to live and he sort of thought that i'd be good for him uh so yeah so there's the so two 18 year olds um a 14 year old and soon to be 10 year old um i think by the time this goes to air he will be be 10 and and the dog which the dog is an amazing uh, karma, and you know, I think he must. You know, where I live, he must be the best known dog because the first thing that happens is they all take pictures of him and send them to Snapchat to all the mates. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so that yes, yeah, so, sorry, I digress. So yes, yeah, so my makeup is um, the four, but only two are official. You know, two are actually foster children. Gosh, so that's quite a big household, and I guess 
I'm really curious about how you cope with those day-to-day challenges because I think one of the things that people can be nervous about in terms of fostering teens or just nervous about about having teens at all but certainly fostering teens is when challenging behavior hits what do you actually do about it and what support is actually available to you I wonder if you can maybe talk a bit about that but maybe if there are a couple of examples you can give it would be really nice to sort of hear how you actually work some of those things through when they come up yeah so I think there's something that I quite like to refer to is and I know it's a mouthful but I try not to say challenging behavior I try to talk about behavior that some people find challenging and you know and again this comes to sort of you know there might be toddlers and young people have sort of behaviors that I would find uh, very challenging but others would shrug off so you know one, one thing that I start with that I um, say to everyone is Remembering I've chosen to foster, the, the young people haven't chosen to be fostered. So, and I think that starts from when they come in to in through the door. And I appreciate there'll always be exceptions, but it seems like the starting point is they have the Wi-Fi, they have a front door key, they have these things, you know, they don't have to earn my respect, but they have to keep it. And they have to, you know, and I think that's about sort of saying, actually, I know you've had a bit of a tough time i'm not here to make itself things more difficult the other thing is you know when they talk about these sort of adverse reactions it's always you know, you think about you know there's always something underlying that that behavior or that reaction and if you bear in mind you know, particularly if you are fostering a teenager who's just come to you as we mentioned you know they may have come straight into care and may have you know their expectations are different of household life but equally, if they've been with other foster care, they'll have different rules wherever they've gone. And I think what we're suddenly asking when someone comes in is trying to, you know, you're trying to impose rules. And I think some people go with the be strict from day one. And then you sort of, and you also like, you see sort of people talk about they've been talking about strict from day one. And then you also see people with that same attitude having sort of placement breakdowns. And you're sort of thinking, right, is that a collaborative, you know, these are young adults, you know, it's about if they know that the rules, are, you're being flexible, that that nips a lot of the behaviours in the bud. I think there's a bit about, you know, what is it? Uh, <laughs> what is it? What to say? The, the, what hill to die on sort of thing. You know, my teenagers have uh, used a lot of bad language. Now, the fact is, I could spend every day talking about bad language and I think it would just end up, you know, I'm not making any traction with it. So what, you know, what's the, what am I going to achieve by, by having those arguments? I think there's a bit, you know, so then there's a bit about very much choosing your battles. And I think you also have to be aware about playing things through in your head first you where are we actually going to end up with these things and i think there is a bit you know where we talk about um natural and logical consequences now i think one thing you can do with teenagers is actually talk them about sort of like the logical consequences and logical and natural consequences is actually you've been you've been late home every night this week you've not uh met curfew and stuff 
So no, you're not going to have a lift on Saturday because I've got to make up for all this stuff that I've not done whilst I've been chasing around after you. So I think there's a bit about, um, you know, I use it in my professional life. I call it goodwill capital. And, you know, and I use that with them is that, you know, it's a give and take. You were in a household. Let's look at, our, you know, what we're doing. So I think, you know, one, one of the big behaviors you'll get is sort of around, can be around aggression. And there's things about, right, we need to like knowing how to handle it, knowing how to back off in a safe way. Uh, and I think, again, there's something that is to talk about with them is an argument doesn't mean that things are breaking down. An argument is, you know, it again depends on the child, the background. An argument doesn't mean that placement is going to break down. An argument doesn't mean that violence is going to happen. An argument is what people do. Um, my, my um, <laughs> I, I, I jokingly say everything I've learned, I've learned from Star Trek and Grey's Anatomy. Uh, <clears throat> That's perfect. <laughs> there's a scene in Grey's Anatomy for anyone who watches it, <clears throat> you'll remember, and it's Meredith with her sister in law and her half sister who are sharing a house, and one of them thinks that she's about to be chucked out because she's had a disagreement with something. And they just talk about, we argue, it's what families do. And one of them goes, yeah, because you're annoying sometimes. And yeah, I'm annoying. You know. And there's a bit about ha having that sort of safe space to sort of say, I can shout, I can rant, I can slam doors. But I know that this is still my safe space. I think there's also a bit about not letting it run over. And, and this is where text messages are amazing. You know, I've had young people storm out of the house and you know, the not coming back and, you know, and again, I'm not saying I'm a saint, you know, <clears throat> I've shouted after them, need to be home by 10 as they go out. But then it's like, a, then the tech message sort of go like, by the way, we're having sausage and mash for dinner. I'll be ready at seven. You know, and it's that sort of reassurance that, you know, you can come back. You've not, you've not burnt bridges and you, you can come back. And there's, you know, and there's lots of, different things and one of my children you know joke that they could murder someone and all I would do is complain about the paperwork and <laughs> but I think that's the attitude is saying you know I am you know you know he's saying look I'm signed up for this you know I foster long term there are going to be up, ups and downs you know and just just work through the things and I think this the one of the problems is there's no single right way but I think the thing I always have to consider is I'm the one that's opened my house and, you know, yes, there won't be sort of red lines. So one thing to talk about is, you know, the kids need to be honest with me. I can't support them in any way if they are being untruthful or withholding information and they know I'll uh, support them through thick and thin. And it works, you know, between the young people, between themselves, let each other know. So my eldest will say to the others, you know, look, Dave will move heaven and earth for you, but you need to be honest with him. Um, and, and that really works. Well, one of the boys was talking about not liking school. And I said, oh, well, if you wanted to go to any school you want, which would it be? And he said it, for each school we'd like to go to. And I said, oh, yeah, do you want me to see if we can make that happen? And I think he suddenly was really shocked that I would actually make it happen. And he's like, oh, no, no, I am actually okay. <laughs> 
at my current school. And I think it was just he'd had a tough week with homework and, <laughs> and got a couple of detentions was uh, was a challenge. So I think, you know, that's, you know, one thing to make sure you have their back. And I think that helps tame the tame some of the more challenging aspects. And it, you know, and it also comes into like then we talk like look at school, and I think there's a bit about supporting school, but also holding school to account. And I think there's some stuff that you do behind closed doors, but there is some stuff that you need to make sure the young person is aware, so that you, they know that you're not just doing whatever school says. Because again, that can lead to sort of challenging behaviours um, or behaviours that some find challenging. And there's stuff about maybe um, working professionals. So one of my young people has a real problem in conversations, particularly with the officialdom, should we say. So I worked with uh, social workers and education and talked about speaking bullet points. You know, and actually just talked about you get three bullet points forget all the niceties at the start because they're already on edge. They think they're in trouble. They think they're going to be told something they won't like, which probably is true. But if you're speaking bullet points, you get it through, it takes the information in and then you can have a conversation. And that made a real big difference to sort of how he's managing his behavior because he's actually, you know, when he talked about every behavior, there's some underlying issue. So sometimes it's about if there's too much information, it's just information overload, or it might be they're nervous about something. Um, I know one of my young people um, got sent home from school for punching a hole in a wall. And what that was, was he was in trouble and was he got so upset he was going to get sent home and that I'd be annoyed with him that he just got really frustrated and it just built up and it just flipped and punched a hole, which actually <laughs> caused that event. And when and when he came home, you know, it, it was still on edge, but it was shouting and really, really angry. But in that all, he said he was upset because he loved me. And he was really upset that I was going to be disappointed in him. I was like, no, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed in some aspects, but... I know you, you struggle and, you know, it's, it's about letting people um, be themselves and looking at how do we rectify things. So, for example, if they, if they have punched holes in a wall, right, how are we going to pay that back? How are you going to pay like a fiver from your pocket money and spends each week um, towards it? And then there's, you know, they see that there's definite sort of repercussions and, Again, that other young person, you know, has punched punched a hole, uh, wall at home, and it was a solid wall. Uh, you know, so he learned not to do that again. Or as I found, like the week after, he was going around tapping the walls to find out which walls were hollow. And so actually, so I was able to bring it up on him. So, so you know, <clears throat> saying when you say you have no control if you know where the hollow walls are, that means you do have some control. So then it's about actually saying, right, let's work with that because I think you actually have more than you give yourself credit for. And I think there's a bit about acknowledging young people's strengths and work, you know, and working with them to, you know, with these, when people talk about behaviours, work, as I said, it's about working, working what's underlying them. And, you know, 
sometimes you can't do much with that, but at least the knowledge helps you to predict when things are going to happen. So, you know, one thing is about looking at what support can uh, be offered. And sometimes I say there's not much. I'm going to be honest, you know, this is, and again, this is not fostering. You know, if you try and get a referral to CAMS and or other services, there's waiting lists on those place. Unfortunately, fostering don't have any magic wand to speed things up. There are certain things they can sometimes get. There are some extra services you have access to. Sometimes there's extra pots of money. The, the main thing is to look about, you know, the team around the child. You normally have access to the, um, the nurse for looked after children. So they can often provide support. I know my fostering service um, has a emotional well-being service and they generally don't work with the young people but they help the foster carers with how to support the young people you know you can young people generally don't like to talk to strangers um about things that are going on in their uh in their head in their life so sometimes it's about accessing resources for yourself so you know i there's um some training for um, about looking after teenagers, specifically separate from my fostering service at the council. So I have access to that. I'm also part of a service called Mockingbird, and that is actually really quite a service. A, 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 I don't know what to say. <laughs> a feature. Uh, so Mockingbird is where we sort of group about eight fostering families together, and the reason that's really useful is that. It means that we generally know each other's kids, so we're not having to um, explain things from scratch. Because I think there's one of those things when you ask for support, our, our fostering service, you know, we've got WhatsApp groups, there's lots lots of people to reach out to, but sometimes it's, if you reach out through that direction, you've got a call start and you have to explain everything from scratch. Whereas in the Mockingbird, they know your children, so they know that, what's worked and they'll have heard what you've tried in the past they'll know where you're up to and it just feels a bit more practical and you know we all you know there's like from babies to 18 year olds uh, as young people in the scheme and that is like a really good way of like getting support and also just saying have any you know have you tried you know working out different approaches because there are services out there but sometimes they're very sort of small, very specific services. And if you've not heard of them, you've not heard of them. <laughs> heard of them. So, so Mockingbird is a great, great tool for you to use and a tool, a great support service to use. It's not just about providing support. There's, there's other things. You know, there's activities for the young people and activities for the adults as well. But as in terms of sort of helping with supporting teenagers, that's really useful. And literally because teenagers do not want to be in any sort of group session that you organize. They'll be, they will go out with the same group of people as long as it's not organized. <laughs> as, soon as, yeah. as soon as you start organizing something, they don't want to do exactly the same thing. They don't want to be, to be involved. So, so that's one of the things. And you know, one thing I do talk to teenagers about is when we're using Mockingbird, say it's not about the activities actually, it's about having more adults in your life that you can count on. So, you know, I have other teenagers that 
uh, within the Mockingbird scheme who have my number that might sort of, you know, have been around when, you know, they've needed, um, when their foster care need to break. And it, again, it sort of makes it a bit more natural. And that's another tier of support. That sounds fantastic, really. It sounds like you're very, very well networked in with all of that. And it sounds from what you've said, like you've created a very supportive and as low conflict as possible environment, which I think is fantastic. I'm interested to ask you, as we start to wrap up, if someone was considering fostering and specifically considering fostering older children, what would your advice be to them? Uh, well, I mean, for anyone fostering, I say there's never a perfect time, so just do it. You know, you'll, there won't be an excuse not to do it. I think it is for teenagers. I say it's you just have to remember, I think I mentioned before, you know, I've chosen to foster the young people haven't chosen to be fostered. So I think that's the, the, the starting point. If you, if you keep that in your head and then just think that, you know, everyone will come back. They will have had, there's a potential they will have had several sets of rules in their life already. So I think there's a bit about managing expectations about, you know, what rules you can realistically impose and which things are up for negotiation and, you know, my, my young people always know that I'm a lot of stuff can be negotiated, but you have to be willing to, you know, what, 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 what is the give and take with it? So be, be, be able to negotiate with, with teenagers, I think is the uh, best one there. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to us about it. I think it's so important that people consider uh, fostering and consider, you know, fostering older kids. So thank you ever so much for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me. I'd like to thank my guest today, Dave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption Fostering a Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea. Thank you.